In January of 2020, as mom was beginning chemotherapy for her second round with ovarian cancer, she was referred to a geneticist. She explained the whole procedure as to why we are doing this, to check if it's genetic. The doctor had her take a blood test. So we did the blood test. Once she got the blood test result, she called me on the phone with the oncologist present and she explained the whole thing to me on the phone and she said, this is the situation. So I knew that people talk of having genes that are not working kind of, or genes that don't do what they're supposed to do and therefore a person goes ill or something. But in connection with cancer cells and those being controlled by, by mutant genes, is the first time I heard that. So that really got my curiosity working. Mom has a background in chemistry and microbiology. So the words weren't unfamiliar to me. I'm familiar with genetic mixes and things. What I was surprised with is the connection between the term mutant and gene. So I was diagnosed with a mutant rad... 51C gene. She said it's a gene that's supposed to repair cancer cells, ovarian cancer cells, but in your case, it's gone mutant and it's not doing its job. When she first said it's genetic, I had to ask the question, what is that? I was quite sure it was environmental that I had developed this because of, you know, being in a lab 17, more than 17 years, breathing in fumes, breathing in acid, dealing with different types of chemicals, teaching chemistry in high school, grade 11s, grade 12s. And literally, I didn't, like, that was my office space, sort of. That's where I practically was from morning to evening, five days a week, right? But I was a little shocked when she said, no, it's not environmental, it's genetic. And that was my first introduction to what is a genetic cancer. What I came away with is that Oh my goodness, this ovarian cancer is not just a tumor gland. Just do a hysterectomy, get it out. That it's sitting in the system with a mutant gene. This is Overlooked, a podcast about ovarian cancer. I'm Golda Arthur, and you just heard the voice of my mom, Teresa Arthur. On this episode, Mutant Genes and Ovarian Cancer. Why genetic testing is, some say, the only preventative measure we've got. And one question that we got was... Mom spent a lot of time attending webinars and reading papers, learning about genes and cancer. She's gone at this research with all the expertise and curiosity and gusto of a science teacher and a woman with a stubborn little cancer inside her. But here's what it comes down to. Mom has a genetic mutation, a gene that's not doing the thing it's supposed to do, which is to protect her body from ovarian cancer. It's called RAD51C. In our family, though, we just call it RAD51. The mutation makes a body more susceptible to ovarian cancer and breast cancer. It's a relatively new discovery that came about a little over a decade ago. If you're a carrier of this mutation, it doesn't mean you'll definitely get cancer, but it does increase your risk. There are other genes that increase the risk of breast and ovarian cancer, of course. 
the most well-known are the BRCA genes. That's B-R-C-A. They were discovered about 20 years ago, and that mutation greatly increases your risk of those cancers. And you've probably heard of it because Angelina Jolie is a BRCA1 mutation carrier. And when she found out through a genetics test, she had a mastectomy. Of course, this made the news. But okay, here's the thing about mutations. Sometimes they're harmful. Sometimes they're neutral. Sometimes they're helpful. But always they're random. It's just the luck of the draw. We were learning all of this as the treatment progressed for mom. Chemo number six, and I'm uh, uh, on my second uh, drug, and everything's fine. Everything's going well. Today's the 26th of April, and uh, this is this is it. I have an appointment just to follow up later with uh, Dr. Sakarjik. He's probably asking for a scan as well. So everything going fine. Everything's good. The numbers are down to C125 being 11 and really thanking and praising God for everything. We're back after a break. I wanted to pause for a quick second to tell you about our website, overlookedpod.com. You can find out more about the podcast and get in touch with us here. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. Now, back to the show. We know that the statistics around ovarian cancer are abysmal. When it's found at stage four, it's about 20%, and it's mostly caught in later stages. And we know there's no screening tool. So given all of this, genetic testing is one of the biggest needle movers in trying to outsmart this disease right now. Genetics technology is evolving, doctors are gradually becoming more aware, and patients have better access to both the knowledge and the technology than before. All of this is starting to create a change of approach to ovarian cancer. One of the largest advocacy organizations for ovarian cancer in the U.S. is the Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance, the OCRA. For years, the idea of early detection of this cancer was a big focus for them. But in the spring of 2023, they shifted their approach. And I wanted to know why. So I got to talk to Sarah DeFeo, who's the chief program officer at the OCRA and asked her about this. You guys had sort of a messaging change recently, and that is what I'm really curious about. So initially, I think there was a big emphasis on early detection of ovarian cancer. Find it early, don't let it kind of sneak past all the checks and sensors and deal with it. But now you're looking at more of a prevention approach. So can you say a little bit more about what the change is and why the change? Yeah, so this is an exciting time. And I will say, you know, as an organization, OCRA has always talked about prevention and risk and the importance of those things. The issue, the very thorny issue of the role of symptoms in early detection and the need for early detection in ovarian cancer, it's a very complicated and challenging topic. And I think in oncology, we've all been trained to believe that catching a cancer early equals you don't die from cancer. You know, that there's sort of this direct line (laughs) where if you catch it early, you can impact the outcome. And 
In a lot of ways, that makes sense. It's logical. And in many, many cancers, that is, in fact, true. And with ovarian cancer, it's it's complicated. In some cases, that may be true. But there are some cancers that are just inherently more aggressive. And in some cases, catching it earlier is not, in fact, going to change the outcome. We felt like we had an obligation as an organization to really focus on evidence-based messages that we knew were going to make a difference. And if we were going to be talking to the public, the general public, not to our own ovarian cancer community of people who are already diagnosed, but to folks out there walking around with ovaries who have not been diagnosed with ovarian cancer, what do we want them to know? I want them to know their risk profile, you know, how likely is it that they're going to get ovarian cancer? Because if you have some sense of that, you might be able to take actions to prevent yourself from ever getting ovarian cancer in the first place. We just feel like focusing on those things are, it's very proactive. And we know it's a way to actually make a difference rather than just focusing on knowing the symptoms and crossing your fingers that knowing the symptoms will maybe help you get an earlier diagnosis and improve your outcome when there's just research to suggest that right now, that's not that's not the case. Unfortunately, currently available methods for screening for ovarian cancer just don't work. And paying attention to symptoms just doesn't work. Okay, let's just stop here for a minute. This really landed with me when I heard Sarah DeFeo say it. It sort of went against everything that I had learned in this journey about cancer. Catch it early, be aware of symptoms, all the things I've been talking about up to this point on the podcast, too. This was a big deal. I think because while we knew that was a message that was important for the general public to hear, we also knew that it perhaps was not going to be super popular within our own ovarian cancer community because there is the strong attachment to the importance of symptom awareness. And there is this real focus on the promise of early detection. And, you know, we know that does not work. (laughs) But I think because it's something, a lot of people hold on to it. And I understand that. We just think we need to acknowledge the reality of the situation where we are right now and hope for the future that scientists will be able to find a method that truly works. But we need to acknowledge that that's probably not going to happen in the next five years. It's probably 10, 20 years away because we need something radically different than what we're doing right now. And it could happen, but we need to be honest with ourselves about where we are so that we can focus our energies appropriately. Well, let's shift a little bit and talk about prevention. So when you guys say prevention, what are you talking about? What exactly do you mean? Are you talking about a genetics test? And so what happens with that process? Walk me through that. You know, prevention of ovarian cancer, I guess a few different things, right? There's different groups of people. There's sort of the general public. That's most people walking around are not at high risk of ovarian cancer. And it's not necessarily something that they need to be worried about. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that they 
could potentially do to reduce their ovarian cancer risk. This is where the concept of opportunistic salpingectomy comes in. So salpingectomy is a surgical removal of your fallopian tubes. One of the things we've been talking about and we wanted to increase awareness of as an organization is this procedure, opportunistic salpingectomy, meaning if a person is having pelvic surgery or lower abdominal surgery, if it's appropriate, that person could have the fallopian tubes removed at the time of that surgery. So maybe you're going in to have a hernia repaired. Maybe you're going in to um, have a hysterectomy or have some fibroids removed. There are hundreds of thousands of pelvic surgeries that take place every year in, this, in the United States. For a portion of those surgeries, it may be totally feasible to remove the tubes at the same time. It only adds literally a couple of minutes to the surgery. It's pretty easy to do, so I'm told. <laughs> Definitely not a surgeon. And it will basically eliminate the risk of ovarian cancer. And this is being done in the United States, but not necessarily as much as it could be. And right now we're really relying on clinicians to bring this to patients because it's pretty clear that there's a very low level of awareness of this as an option among the general public. For folks who know that they're at high risk or who may be concerned about high risk, it's a slightly different scenario, but there are things you can do. So if you have had genetic testing, for example, and you know that you are a genetic mutation carrier, doctors might advise that you be more proactive and rather than, say, waiting to see if you happen to have another surgery where you could take the fallopian tubes out, it's pretty standard practice, say, for a BRCA1 or 2 mutation carrier to have surgery specifically to remove your ovaries and fallopian tubes or fallopian tubes first and then your ovaries later if you don't want it to go into surgical menopause to manage ovarian cancer risk. And that's very commonly done. So these are not necessarily small decisions. I want to emphasize that it's not like this, not a big deal, but it really can be life-saving. So genetics testing seems like it's our only way to outsmart this cancer at the moment. And everything is evolving relatively quickly in terms of the technology and the testing. But my family's journey to understand not just how it works, but how it affects us has been slow and gradual. Here's mom again, talking about her conversation with the geneticist. The heartbreaking thing for me was when she mentioned genetics and explained, you know, the nature of it. And she explained that this could be, obviously, since it's genetic, my children could have, I was born, kids were born. It's, it's already been passed on. I was alarmed when I thought about it and she mentioned it and I said, what am I supposed to do about my children? Like, suppose it's been passed on to them. And then she said, yes, I'll give you all my your reports. You can give it to your daughters and even your son, my two daughters and my one son, because this particular gene may also be responsible for prostate cancer. So I uh, immediately thought that's my first responsibility to pass it on to, to family, right? And make sure that they contact their health providers to see what can be done and act quickly. Like I just wanted to bang my fists on the table to say, I didn't think about this. I just, it doesn't stop with me. It was a gutting realization for mom, but not for me somehow. 
It took a while for me to get it. Genes, the thing you get from your parents. My brain knew this was a rare mutation, and somehow I interpreted that to mean that maybe it wouldn't get passed around in our family. Through these years, I was still running from this, burying my head in the sand wherever possible. And anyway, the next crisis around the corner made sure that all of us were thinking of nothing else but mom's survival. That's the next episode of Overlooked. Overlooked is written and produced by me, Golda Arthur. Our associate producer is Jessica martinez Dios. Lisa Soep is our editor, and Eric Gomez is our sound designer and engineer. Please share this episode with someone who would like to listen as well. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening to this. And for more information about the show, check out our website, www.overlookedpod.com. Thank you for listening.